Amen. Well, we're going to continue to set our hearts on Christ today. Uh, That would be my goal, is that we would lift high the name of Jesus and we would spend some time thinking about Him. And so in order to do that, let's open our Bibles uh, to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us on the Bible app. If you have that, you can uh, find our events there, kind of follow along and take your notes. Or uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will be coming around. They'd be glad to give you a physical copy of that so you can have it in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, would you just like take that one, take it home? Uh, We would love for you to read it. It's a gift to you. And uh, we just love to study God's Word. So we're back in Mark chapter 1. Hopefully we will finish the chapter today, and uh, just to recap, just so that we get a, an idea of what we've been studying, Mark is trying to answer two really important questions, and these are, I would say, it's kind of like the themes of the book, okay? The first question that he's trying to answer is, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Why, 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 why did he come? What did he come to do? So we're trying to get our, our eyes and our minds around the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? The second question then that he's asking is, um, uh, uh, you know, because of that, then how and, and what does being his disciple look like? How do we follow him? And, and so what I'm really excited about is we Getting into this, we're, we are all about Jesus, and if we get answers to those questions, the more we know who Jesus is and how we can follow him, you know what that means for our church? That means we're going to grow, because that's, we're, we're going to grow as disciples, which is exactly what we're trying to do around here, and so uh, just so that you get this, Mark has already made this really important claim, chapter 1, verse 1, and, and, and remember, okay, so when, when we're reading through the Gospels, I know that a lot of times we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and, and it just kind of feels like a whole bunch of stories tied together, and sometimes that's how we treat it, you know, it's like one at a time, we don't think about the fact that each book is trying to prove something, okay? Mark is trying to build an argument, and he's made his claim, chapter 1, verse 1, he said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's saying that Jesus is the Christ, or the, the Messiah, the King, and he's the Son of God. And for the rest of the book now, he's trying to prove that claim with this action-packed account of Jesus's ministry. And so what we're going to do is we are going to learn who Jesus is by what he does. Is he really the Christ? Is he really the Son of God? And if I could say it this way this morning, the proof is in the preacher. And and so I'm going to give you a big idea on this text this morning, and I'm just warning you, I went uber Baptist with this big idea. So here's some alliteration coming at you. Ready? Here it is. Jesus is the powerful, popular, prayed up, pitying preacher. Say that 10 times fast, right? Jesus is the powerful, popular, prayed-up, pitying preacher. Pretty impressive, huh? I am particularly proud of that play on words. We're going to have a pleasant time parsing out that profound proclamation. I should be embarrassed, but I'm just not. I know some of you are like, just quit playing around and preach, pastor. All right, let's, let's peruse the passage here. Uh, chapter 1, verse 21 is where we're going to be. Follow along with me as I read. 
Mark tells us that as they went into Capernaum, immediately, so Mark just loves that word, right? Uh, that's like the fifth or sixth time we've seen it, and, and he's going to use that word 40 times in this book, okay? Just trying to keep things moving. Uh, this is kind of an action-packed gospel account. So immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that the, they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A, a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And they came, and they took her by the hand, and they lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Father, I pray that we would know you. God, we want to see Jesus high and lifted up, and I'm praying that you would impress us again with the person of Christ, that we would be disciples who want to follow and be like you. And so we just give you praise that you would allow us this privilege of gathering together as believers and disciples that are just eager to see what our master is like, what he did, who he is, that we would, Lord, we would love you and be obedient to you and truly follow you. So I'm praying that our church is going to grow even today as we set our hearts on the person of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I've given you this big idea Here's what I want to do. I know we, sometimes we don't do this as an outline, but I kind of want to break down this description, okay? Like we have a lot of adjectives, a lot of things that are describing Jesus. And so uh, we just want to set our hearts on him and get, get this in our minds who he is, okay? So let's just kind of take these one at a time. So if, we, if we're trying to prove this, Jesus is powerful, Jesus is powerful. That's one of the things he's going to show us right in, uh, at the beginning. Verse 22, Jesus comes out, and, and all the people are, it says they're astonished. They're like shocked and amazed at his teaching. So, so Mark, if, if you see this, you're going to notice this. Uh, some of the other gospels have a whole lot more red letters. That's because John, Mark doesn't always tell us what he taught. He's just telling us that he taught. But he's really wanting us to kind of focus in on the response that they got. So, so they're astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority. Okay, so that word kind of means power. So what's he doing? He's proving that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and, and he's doing that by helping us understand that as soon as Jesus starts teaching, everybody understands his teaching stands out. I mean, they get teaching all the time, 
But, but it says that his teaching was not as the scribes. So, so right off the bat, Mark is trying to help us understand that Jesus has power, even power over the scribes. Now, now we don't necessarily know what scribes are, but, but they were, if, if you will, uh, they're, they're like experts in the law, in the, in the scriptures, and they're, they're teachers, and they're even lawyers, okay? So if you had a question about the scriptures or, or how to interpret them, you would go to the scribes. So what's crazy is that as soon as Jesus opens his mouth, everybody there can recognize there's something different about his teaching. And it's not just that they like his style better, like, you know, like he doesn't tell uh, cheesy jokes and stupid alliteration and things like that. Like there's, there's something qualitatively different about Jesus' teaching. See, any authority that the scribes have is really just the authority of Scripture and the, the, the spiritual fathers that, that, that would have instructed them. But Jesus receives his authority directly from God the Father. We already saw this at his baptism. When the God the Father spoke and said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means this. Don't think of Jesus like Confucius or Socrates or uh, Gandhi or any other moral teacher that, that has some pithy wisdom and, and quotes that you might find in a coffee table booklet. See, when Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority because he's the son of God. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we better listen. That you and I better listen to him because he has the power and the authority over us, which is why every Sunday we say, let's open our Bibles because this is the word of Christ. And this is authoritative. This is the power. And so he's proving to us that, that Jesus has power over the scribes, but then he also shows us that he has power over the spirits. Look at verse 23. He says, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And so, so that's like an unclean spirit. That's just the demon, okay? So, so what's happening is Mark is trying to help us understand immediately Jesus is going into battle with the spiritual realm. And it doesn't tell us what the man's symptoms were, like what it was, but like something, something freaky and, and weird is going on here for them to recognize that this is not natural. I mean, something, some like stranger things is going on here in the middle of this, right? So, so, so like, but, but if you're seeing this, when Jesus comes in and the king comes to town and he sees somebody who's being held hostage and oppressed by the enemy, like, like just picture he's got him in a headlock. What's the king going to do when he comes to town? He's going to prove his power. Do you know who you're dealing with here? Do you understand who's come to town? Who's going to come to battle? And actually, like he does, because uh, verse 24, this, this demon actually does know. Verse 24, he tells him, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I got to tell you, like, of course the demons know who he is. And, and it's kind of funny that Mark would include the, the testimony of the demons for us, right? And, and we get that again in chapter 3, and we'll get it again in chapter 5. Like, here they are. They, they know exactly who, who he is. They've seen him in the spiritual realm, something that we would never even be able to know without their testimony, quite honestly. But, but look at what he says, verse 24. This is so interesting. He says, uh, have you come to destroy, not me, us? It seems to be only one spirit talking here. But this spirit knows that Jesus didn't come to just fight one demon. 
Jesus came to conquer all the forces of evil, and he is proving that he's got cosmic power. Do you see the power of Jesus here? And, and, and this, this demon, I just kind of thought that, that in those days, if you uh, spoke the name of your spiritual enemy directly to them, that, that somehow that gave you power. So you can kind of see, maybe, maybe that's what's going on here. The demon's like, hey, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the, the Holy One of God. And you can kind of see him cowering. Like, it doesn't work, does it? Jesus, he just steps forward and he just says, be silent and come out of him. He doesn't stand a chance because Jesus is far too powerful. It's not really even comparable. Jesus is way more powerful. And can you imagine if you had seen that, verse 26, if you were watching what happened to that man, it says he's like convulsing him, he's shaking on the ground, he's crying out with a loud voice. Everybody would have been freaked out in that moment, I think. Everybody's jaw hits the floor. We know that because verse 27 says they were all amazed. Like, man, can you see this guy? Do you see his power? I gotta think that 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 would have been pretty encouraging for the disciples. Because remember, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they just signed up to follow this guy. And, and they, you know, they're, they, they want to know, like, did we back the right horse? Is this the guy, like, is, does he really have some power? I mean, like, it, we, we want to know if he's, if, he, if he's got it in him. Is he, is he going to be able to take the enemy out? And, and, and quite frankly, uh, in, in Isaiah 53, it told us that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. So, so Jesus is not some physical specimen. He's not like built like a bodybuilder. He's not, he doesn't know Krav Maga. But if there was any doubt that this guy had some serious power, Mark is trying to help us understand that right away, we are seeing a man who's not like anybody else. He's got power over scribes and power over the spirits, and then he also has power over sickness. So he just demonstrated that he's got power over the highest authorities that we can think of. The, the temporal, the scribes, and then the supernatural, these these spirits, but now he's even proving that, that Jesus has power even over the, the physical world too. Because he tells this story here uh, of verse 29 that they entered the house of, of Simon, and there is Simon's uh, mother-in-law laying ill. And it doesn't tell us like what she, well, you know, what her problem was. She has a fever. Like that's all it says. It doesn't tell us exactly what her sickness is, which actually, if you think about it that way, then. Uh, it kind of rings true of one of Peter's memories. Because remember, uh, we believe that, that John Mark, who wrote this, was collecting the eyewitness accounts uh, of Peter. I mean, he could have picked any other healing story that, that, that probably had a little bit more pizzazz to it, but, but this is one that, that Peter would have uh, remembered. And you got to think that Peter's like, well, he can take on scribes, he can take on demons, let's see if he can deal with my mother-in-law. And so verse 31 uh, this is interesting here that I, I love how, how it says it's just so, so uh, quick. He just, Jesus comes in, he takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up. This is really simple, right? There's no incantation, there's no magical words, no medicine, no, no physical therapy necessary. He's just like, it's like he's helping her out of bed. Like, come on, let's go. It's kind of like sickness is nothing to him. I think um, Tolkien captured this in The Lord of the Rings when he said, the hands of a king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. Jesus is the king. He's the Christ, the son of God, and as such, he has power. Maybe you need to know that today. Maybe, maybe 
you've been struggling. Maybe you're feeling oppressed. Maybe you feel like you've been fighting. You're, you know, you, you sense that you're in a battle. You sense that someone's trying to take me out. And, or maybe you're fighting with sickness. Someone, you or someone you know that's a loved one that, that is dealing with sickness. And that, that can be scary, can it? When I don't know. And, and this is just a reality that we deal with. That you do. You have an enemy. You have a spiritual enemy, and he hates you and wants to take you out. And you also have a body that's, that's dying and, and, and broken down because of sin. But do you respond in, in fear and, and worry and, and anxiousness? Like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And, 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 or do you live with confidence in the power of the king who has defeated the enemy and has promised that one day he's going to come back and he is going to raise us to new life and he is going to glorify our bodies so that we will never be sick again, so that we will never die. Is there, is there great hope there? We're talking about a king who has some serious power. Well, how do we respond to him? Well, I think Peter's mother-in-law actually becomes our example in discipleship. Uh, we don't actually even know her name. But this is just like, she's a wonderful woman in the Bible. And uh, it says that when the, the fever left her, she began to serve them. So as soon as she's touched by the power of Christ, she begins serving. And you might think that that's, well, that's, you know, in that society, that's just her place. Like she's supposed to go back. But, but that word is very interesting in the Gospel of Mark. It's only used a few times. Incidentally, one of the other times is in chapter 15, verse 41, where it says that there were some women who ministered. Same word, they served Jesus. Kind of love that, in, that, in, that in this gospel, the women are leading the way in discipleship. But it's also the same word to describe Jesus' mission. We looked at this last week. You need to know this verse in chapter 10. Verse 45, I have this up here on the screen. If you want to understand this book, you need to know this verse. And this is the same word that's going on here to describe it so that you will understand. This is the key to knowing why Jesus came. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's this Jesus who is incredibly powerful, but he's not just lording it over us. He, he comes humbly and he comes to serve and if you've been touched by this powerful king, you recognize that he's the authority, then you serve. That's what disciples do, right? We, we, we want to we be like our king. And if he is the king, then I want to serve him. So like, sign me up. I want to work for Christ. Do you know that's why we say that? Like, we want you to worship Christ. We want you to walk with Christ. We want you to work for Christ. This is part of your discipleship. I want to serve my king who served me. You can do that in Harvest Kids. You can do that on Setup Team. You can do that on the Welcome Team. You can do that with, like, praying for people. You can go visit people who are struggling, visiting in the hospital, taking them a meal. Like, just roll up your sleeves. I want to serve my king. That's what a disciple looks like, is we want to be like our Savior. So Jesus is powerful. Let's look at the next adjective. He's, he's also popular. We see that in this text. He's popular. Because we saw, like, right after he uh, cast the demon out in verse 28, it says, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the, all the surrounding region of 
Galilee. So Jesus now becomes this household name and, and everybody wants to experience his power. In fact, uh, after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, uh, verse 33, you, you see that like, like they're all coming. Uh, the sun goes down, verse 33. The whole city was gathered together at the door. You want to talk about one big block party. And, and I'm kind of thinking that, that, that Mark or, or, or Peter is probably in a little bit of hot water with his mother-in-law, right? Like she just got up to serve him. She's like, great, now I gotta make sandwiches for all these people too. Everybody's coming. And, and, and then even at the end of chapter one, in verse 45, the very last verse, it says that the news was being spread so that Jesus could no longer open or, openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. Like he can't even get into the city. The traffic is so bad and crazy. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. He's blowing up the internet, his security details, like pulling out their hair, like, how are we going to keep this guy safe? You got to think that his PR people, they're like super happy about it, right? They're like, this is awesome. Look, they're dreaming of, of stadium events, and let's get him on with, with Jimmy Fallon. And like, this, Mark is trying to help us understand that as soon as Jesus starts his ministry, it explodes, and the crowds start pouring in, and he's super popular, which you would think is a win, Right? I mean, we would, like, he's doing pretty well right off the bat. But Jesus doesn't seem to fully embrace this newfound popularity. In fact, he, he starts to say some things that, that almost seem like he's working against people finding out his identity. Because look at what he told the demon. The demon in verse 24, who said, I know who you are. What did he tell him in verse 25? Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent. Then down in verse 34, he's healing the sick with various diseases. He's casting out many demons. It says, he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, does that seem counterintuitive to any of you? Like, I know it's demons, but don't you, don't, don't you want to be known? And they know you. Like the, It would seem like, isn't that one of the big questions that Mark's trying to answer for us? Like, who is Jesus? And, and, and these guys know, but, but it's not just the demons either. He starts doing this to some of the people that he's healing and doing these miracles for. In fact, at the end of uh, chapter 1, we're going to look at this in just a moment, but he heals a, a leper. And after he heals the leper, verse 43, it says, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. So, so awesome miracle. Now, don't tell anybody about it. This, this be act, actually becomes a thing in Mark. It's going to come up again in, in, in chapter 5. He's gonna, he raises this dead girl to life, which is pretty awesome. But then he says that he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And then in chapter 8, there's a, there's a blind man that he heals, and he sends him home, and he says, do not even enter the village. And then, and then Peter uh, steps forward as one of the disciples and says, you're the Christ. And, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why? Does anybody wonder, like, why is there this command to silence that Mark keeps bringing up? Well, think about the claim that Mark has made that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, meaning he's the Messiah. But the problem is, all of these crowds and even his disciples completely misunderstand what the Christ, what the Messiah means and what he came to do. They, they, they don't get it. They, they think that he's come to just kind of relieve 
some suffering and his miracles are going to, uh, they're going to fix their health care and their welfare problems. It's going to be great. And, and, and it's going to, uh, you know, do some social justice and maybe conquering political king to overthrow the Romans. That's what they're looking for. And, and in fact, Mark records for us in chapter 8, uh, I told you the first half of this book, we're wrestling with like, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? The second half of the book, he's going to clarify what he came to do. But there's this point right in the middle of the book, right in chapter 8, where Jesus actually asked this question. I've got it on the screen here. Chapter 8, verse 29, he asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him and said, you are the? He got the right answer, but he completely misunderstood what that meant. And so it's after chapter 8 that Jesus is going to start to clarify what the mission of the Messiah is. And he foretells three times his death and his resurrection. What he's trying to help us understand that is unless you know that Jesus Christ came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that he died in our place for our sins, then you'll completely miss who he is. You'll miss him. And so I think it's like a masterful storyteller. Mark's just this whole time, he's like, don't tell him, don't say anything, don't say anything yet. And he saves it for the end of the book where a Roman centurion is finally looking up at Jesus hanging on the cross and concludes, truly, this was the Son of God. He is. But I think what Mark is doing here in chapter 1 by including this like, don't tell him I don't want to get it out. What he's doing is he's giving us a warning. He's trying to help us understand that, yes, he's, he's famous. Yes, he's popular. Yes, everybody wants to be around him. In fact, the text says that they were all amazed. But Jesus is not looking to just wow some crowds. He, he's, he's looking for disciples who will trust him and who will follow him, even if it means it will cost them their life. See, all these crowds, these people that are following, they're not going to last. They're not going to stick around, which means that amazement does not equal discipleship. Filling auditoriums is not fulfilling the Great Commission. Just because you're impressed doesn't mean that you put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins. Now, I I think it's pretty safe to say that, that around here, Jesus is pretty popular, right? I mean, I hope there's never a Sunday where you walk away from the weekend worship without lifting high the name of Jesus. We can't say enough about Jesus. We love Jesus, but what we're, what we're understanding here is that it's, it's possible that, that we could be right in the middle of everything going on around here. You could participate in all of the church's activities, listen to the stories, sing the songs, follow the crowd, but miss him. And so it's not just about what we think. What do you think about him? Who do you think he is? So he's powerful and he's popular. Let's keep going. I think this will actually clarify just a little bit. Verse 35, let's keep reading. Verse 35 says, In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So let's just look at the fact that Jesus is prayed up, shall we? 
Like, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but we just can't skip this. This is just a fantastic verse. If you don't have this, like, underline this star, this love verse 35, that, that it says he's rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. I just got to tell you, I kind of picture this years later. Uh, Peter and John Mark are just kicking it, and they're, they're like, talking about it, and Peter's reminiscing, and, and he starts to say, you know, I remember, I remember that he'd get up early in the morning. Like, the sun wasn't even up, and he'd go out to pray. Wouldn't you want your kids to catch you doing that? I mean, you talk about a legacy where years later they remember that mom and dad's first priority, I want to get up and be with the father. What kind of testimony would that be for your roommate if they saw that? And I want to spend time with the father. And he, it says he departed he goes out to a desolate place where he prayed. So, so, so Jesus, in the midst of all this, he gets away from the, the, the chaos of the crowds, and he just wants to be alone with his father and spend time praying. Before he goes out to preach, he makes sure he's prayed up. I know this is really simple, but let's not miss this, okay? Disciples follow the example of Jesus. And so if I could just ask, like, are, are we a praying church? We don't want just a prayer team. Well, let's leave it to them. They, they know what they're doing, right, Miss Lilia? You got this. No, we want to we want to we want to all be like our master. You make sure every morning you're prayed up before you go out the door. You're praying for your heart. You're praying for your, your work. You do that in a way that's pleasing to Christ. You're praying for the interactions that you know you're gonna get into. Are you praying for your fishing opportunities like we saw last week? God wants us to be fishers of men. Are you praying for that? You praying for your neighborhood? our leaders, our church, your small group? Are you praying for 100 stories this year? We want to see 100 stories of lives transformed by the glory of God. Guess what? We can't do that. We better get on our knees and be praying, spending time with our Father. Love that he gives us that example. So he's, Jesus is the powerful, popular prayer. Now let's look at the fact, we're going to jump ahead and look at the fact that he's a preacher because that's what we see here in the text, verse 36 uh, it says that Simon Peter's going out and he's searching for him. By the time he catches up and finds him, he says, everyone is looking for you. Because that's like almost a rebuke. Peter's like, what are you doing out here? All your adoring fans are out there looking for you. Come back out. Like, why is he doing that? Because he completely misses and misunderstands the mission, why Jesus came. He thinks that the crowds are the goal, that, that scores of people equal success. But, but that's not what Jesus says. What do you say? Verse 38. Let's, let's move on. Let's go. Let's go to the next place because I want to preach there too. That's why I came. He's the preacher. What did he preach? Well, we already saw that. Verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15. We saw that, that Jesus, right after he came out of temptation in the wilderness with Satan, uh, he comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is at hand is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So you gotta understand this, Jesus' goal is not to amaze a crowd. He's preaching to sinners who need good news that they can repent and believe in the gospel. Now, like, if, if it was all about wowing crowds and like, hey, let's, 
you know, like pull out all the stops. Let's, let's, let's get the lights out. Let's get the fog machine. Let's crank the music. Let's get some T-shirt cannons going, right? Let's free food, and, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. We're putting on a show. Come one, come all. We want everybody coming in here. Problem is, you can gather a whole group of people and get them all fired up, and they can miss the gospel. They can miss their deepest need. And so all these people, they're, 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 they're seeing what Jesus is doing. They're fired up. They're excited because he's healing their diseases. He, they're seeing these exorcisms. Verse 39 right there, there's, that's what he's doing. He's, he's preaching in their synagogues, and he's casting out the demons. But you have to understand, why did you do that? The point of the miracles was to point to the person of Jesus because the proof is in the preacher. The miracles prove that the kingdom of God has broken through in the ministry of King Jesus, the one who can release us from bondage to Satan's kingdom and the curse of this fallen world. We need a savior. So don't get swept up in his popularity and miss the message of salvation that he came to preach. You can, you can have a, a moving experience here at, at church. You, you can have a whole bunch of Christian friends. You can speak Christianese. You can witness miracles. But unless you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who alone can save you from your sins because he died in your place, then you're going to completely miss the preacher. That's who we're setting our hearts on today. Jesus is the powerful, popular prayed up, and pitied preacher. I love this story that he includes here at the end of chapter 1, verse 40. He says, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, I will. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is kind of a provocative story, okay? So, so, so just that we get the, uh, an appreciation for what's going on here. This, this guy has leprosy. Leprosy was a really dangerous skin disease, and, and it included all sorts of things, stuff. But, but, but if you were diagnosed with leprosy in those days, that was like a death sentence. Not only are you going to suffer physically, but you're going to suffer socially as well. Because you can't be around anybody. You're going to lose everything you got. It's awful. In fact, just so that we get a taste of this, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 13, here's, here's the prescription. Here's what has to happen if you have leprosy. Leviticus 13, the leprous person shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. You're just going to look awful. You, you have to look awful. You're going to look like the living dead. Cover his lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. It's like awful suffering. You wouldn't wish this on anybody. And so verse 40, when it says that a leper came up to him, you got to know that this guy is like crossing and ignoring all sorts of barriers. The people around him got to be thinking like, get away. What are you, you're not supposed to be here. But, but he comes and he's imploring and he's kneeling. You just see the urgency, right? He's, he's like absolutely at the end of his rope. Like, you're my only hope. I've got nowhere else to turn. And he says to Jesus, if you 
will. You can make me clean. Notice that he's not questioning Jesus' ability. I mean, he's seen his power. He's seen what he can do. He's just not sure if Jesus is willing. He doesn't know if Jesus would want to help him. You ever felt that? You ever felt like, I get like, this guy sounds amazing. All of this sounds great. Jesus, I, I can tell. This is special. There's something here. But you don't know who I am. You, you, don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm like. I'm just not sure that Jesus would want to help me. Well, if that's you, then you need verse 41. Because Jesus was moved with pity. He's the pitying creature. And while, while everybody else is repulsed and recoiling with contempt, Jesus moves closer by his compassion for this man. I remember, he made this man. And he's seeing him suffer under the curse of sin. And then Jesus does something that's like, this is so scandalous that he would do this. He, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. And you thought the crowds were amazed before. I, I'm kind of imagining that they're, they're, they're probably in like shock when they see this. Like this hushed disbelief. Like you could hear a pin drop in here. Like, no, why is he doing this? But can you imagine what that man must have felt when Jesus touched him. This man that's felt the sting of rejection, that has suffered alone. Nobody wants to be around him. There's no hope of him ever experiencing human love. He's ostracized. He's on the outside. People just keep their distance. Man, I, I wonder, like he, may, he may have had like a sudden shudder that would have gone through his body as Jesus reached out and touched him and said, See, that's why he came. He came so that you would know that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, you are wanted by the God who loves you. And the point is not that we would look at this guy, this, this, this leper. I mean, he, he's... He, he, he actually disobeys. Jesus tells him, like, don't go say anything. And, and, and he disobeys and he goes and spreads the word and then he makes it harder for Jesus to get around, which is actually ironic because the lepers, remember, they're, they're not allowed to come into the town. They can't open a town and uh, 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 enter a town openly. They have to stay out in desolate places. That's where they're supposed to be. But now it says that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he's out in desolate places. As one author said, Jesus just switched places with him. So the point is that you would see our Savior, this powerful, yes, popular, prayed up and pitying preacher who stepped in and took your place to die for your sins and who's inviting you to believe. You know this? He wants to save you. He wants to do that. Is Jesus awesome? 
This is why we lift the name of Christ high in our worship. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you that you would care about us. That you would demonstrate that you are willing. You want to draw us close to you so that we might know you and experience your power. There really is no one who has ever lived. There's no one like you. We believe that you are the Christ. You're the King. You are the Son of God. You're the only one who could save us. So Lord, we want to be like you. We want to serve you because you served us. I'm praying that as we set our hearts on you, we really would become more and more like you. People would see that we're in love with you. That we're following you. And it's making a difference in the way that we live during the week. I pray that we would demonstrate the same love, the same prayed up pity. We want to be fishers of men. We want others to come to know you and love you because we're convinced that you are worth it. Receive our worship. Help us to set our hearts on you again. It's in Christ's name I pray.